0: Can I say I we'll give it up? Johnny Zapp. Brian Charcher. <laughs> we ha- we have to let the listeners know why we're laughing.
1: Well, we were halfway through, and uh, the laptop uh, took a big shit. But we're back online. Johnny Zapp, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Brian. Uh,
0: again. Yes, this is uh, this Deja is my vu. second time on the podcast today. Long-time listener,
1: second time interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think we're good. Um, I'd like to start with some early musical memories. Maybe there was a a record that really spoke to you. Um, Would love to hear kind of some early musical influences and what eventually brought you to Tempe. So let's start with early records and what your folks were listening to and your brothers and the whole thing. Let's do it. It's it's
0: almost like you know where I'm going. (laughs) Yeah, so, so as a kid growing up in Huntington Beach, California, yeah, uh, my father was a huge influence because he was he a was first-generation Italian-American, and him and his four brothers used to play guitars and, and mandolins all the time. So like every weekend, every Sunday, would either be at my grandmother's house or our house by the beach, they'd just sit in the living room in a semicircle. Playing mm-hmm. traditional Italian music while my mom and, and my aunts were in the kitchen cooking mm-hmm. pasta and, and meatballs and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. My dad, they'd all be drinking their scotch, smoking their cigarettes back when everybody used to smoke in the house, and mm-hmm. they'd pull me in and teach me how to play the mandolin. Mm-hmm. And when I, you know, we're talking like four or five years old in my feetsie pajamas. And then when I got a little bigger, it was a guitar and. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't uh, the kind of stuff that you'd go to school and, and you go check it out and, you know, you'd play the theme from The Godfather for your buddies and impress them, you know, because it wasn't, it was polka, you know. it was, Right. So, um, but as I got older, started digging into my siblings' records and, you know, seeing that, well, there's mandolin on Zeppelin records and, and, and Hart records and all that kind of stuff, Rod Stewart records in particular. Uh, my dad and I would figure out how to, how to play them together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, well, that's kind of cool, you know um reached middle school and then it's like wow man started really listening to zeppelin records and mm-hmm. you know i was born in 76 so these records are already old but um i'm the youngest of four my next older brother is seven and a half years older so you go even further to my oldest brother he's 14 years older and i'm looking at his sabbath records and his which scared the hell out of me by the way but yeah, they sound bitchin', like bitching right yeah you start listening to that stuff, and but Zeppelin in particular made me want to play guitar, made me want to play drums, it made me want to play bass, all can, those things.
1: Can I ask you? I remember like those those Zeppelin records were, were super influential to me, but I also couldn't sing like that. I couldn't. No, I couldn't. My, my vocal range yeah. wasn't there, so it was inc- inspiring, but also in a way like I didn't think I could attain that because I couldn't sing. And, and maybe you can talk to the fact that, you know, it, that era of music, and even into the 80s, um, the, the, the vocal range was so high. Sure. You know, sure. and it wasn't until I heard someone like a James Taylor or a John Denver where I was like, I can at least sing in the range, right? Did that ever so, come?
0: Well, that's that's funny. You mentioned that where you hear the James Taylor, and you f- that's kind of your target. Mm-hmm. I can't do the crooner thing or the singer-songwriter thing, and I've tried. But if you put me in front of a band with a drummer and a couple of Marshall stacks and mm-hmm. the band just killing it, I got it. Yeah. But I can't do the acoustic singer-songwriter thing. Interesting. But I can't do the Robert Plant thing either. Right. Okay, who can, right? Right. Uh, Robert Plant I'm, can. I'm, so, I'm just saying it's almost unattainable. Right. You know. And but it's it, almo- it challenges you. You love listening to it, and then it challenges you because you're like, okay, he's doing his thing. But listen to that drummer. Mm. And then for me, it was, it was like, it's so funny. Like, what made me want to play bass was Zeppelin's second album, mm. Mm. you know. And I started on mandolin and went into the guitar, and then I'm listening to the, the Lemon Song from Zeppelin's second album, and I'm like, Dad, let's go get a bass.
1: Mm.
0: And he's like, all right. So mm-hmm. we go and get a Squire Fender bass so that we can play like um, like John Paul Jones. Mm. And then and Dave Brown from Santana, because I saw... I saw Woodstock video mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of them doing Soul Sacrifice, and I'm like, I need a bass yeah. right now. That's funny, you know. So there was a lot of that, but you know. And then I should back up because I'm talking like 12 years old, but when I was about six or seven, you know, and us being from the same, born the same year, you've heard a lot about most people that are 10 years our seniors say the game changer for them was seeing the Beatles and Ed Sullivan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For me, it was. Gosh, it was, it was like 1981 when cable TV came out mm. and HBO was a big thing. And my mm-hmm. dad went and got a, a Betamax, beta max and a, uh, you know, we had the remote with the big cable and all that. And mm. he said, Hey, come watch this with me. And he was taping on beta, the Elvis 68 comeback special mm. Mm. VH or I'm sorry, HBO was airing the one hour special, but it was just a sit down. Mm version of them knocking off tunes yeah, and laughing. And I sat there and I watched it and I said, that was it. I'm like, yeah. oh my God, huh. I have to have a Gibson J200. I have to right. have this. I have to have... look at this guy. And I yeah. got to be sexy and bitching like that guy, hopefully someday. And right. like, that was the game changer. And a lot of people don't realize, like, if if you're listening and you haven't seen that, watch it. Yeah. Because that dude was a hell of a guitar player. Yeah. And nobody ever talks about that. Yeah. So it was from, you know, the Italian, traditional Italian music to the Elvis comeback special. And then I'm like, this is what I want to do. And then it was Zeppelin and and Sabbath. And then when it became time to start writing songs, well, years before that. So Zeppelin was chops. And then when it became about songs, it was cheap trick for me. You know, so like if you listen to Zeppelin, for example, do they have any songs with any choruses? But they blew our minds didn 't they right right
1: well, yeah, I mean yeah, I mean how do, how do you even they 're their own category they're they 're almost like their own fucking genre um it was It was the perfect combination right of musicianship, like some sort of mysterious allure like they are the blueprint for any rock band, you know on on a thousand levels I mean, they blew everything out of the fucking water, there was nothing like it. All right. So, before we get to you moving to Tempe, um, I wonder if we can talk a little bit about <laughs> growing up in, or well, being born in '76, and and kind of coming of age, being a teenager in the '80s, and the wealth of music that was all around us. Um, whether it was from your brothers or your parents or what was on the radio or, you know, what was popular and, and that sort of thing. Can you talk, um be you know, beyond, I mean, Zeppelin has the same, or had the same effect on me as a kid. Were there other things kind of in that very, um, when your brain's a little mushy and you start to come online and, and identify with a type of music, you know? Did, sure. can you Can you speak to that moment sure. a little
0: bit? Um, because up to that point, like, the music from my father and my mother was all from the fifties, which was like it. Like I was saying uh, when I was on the podcast before, <laughs> 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 it's, it's uh, because I was I was the big accident. Like my my you know the youngest and so far removed from my siblings, huh. my parents were ten years older than all my friends' parents. So their record collection was from the fifties. Whereas my I'd go to my friend's house and they, you know like a lot of my f- friends. Dads were Vietnam vets and whatnot, so they had records from the late 60s into the early 70s, right? So I had all that, but the first, I I always remember, uh, my brother Don had this friend in high school, and this is 1986, and her name was Jenny, and she had this VW bug. And she was at the house, and she says, hey, we're going to go get some tacos and bring them back to the house. Everybody used to hang out at our house. And uh, you want to go. Because of the pasta and the meatballs, The bro. pasta and the meatballs. But my dad was at work. I remember it was a weekday. Dad was at work, and so we were going to go get some tacos. And uh, she puts this tape in, and it was the cult, Electric. Mm. Mm. And I went, can I take that to the house and copy that? Remember dubbing <laughs> oh, cassettes? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. So we had the Elvis Game Changer, and then we had Electric in 86. And I went, that's it. hmm that's it, that sound. Because in 1986, 87 was hair metal. Right. And then here comes this band that was just a three piece band, shit hot, three yeah. piece band with a front man that just, and that attitude. Yeah. A British band that just went to New York and just, you know, did this record and just killed it, right? Yeah. So that was the first one that was really my own. Uh, right, that wasn't from my brothers or my sister. It just happened to be a cassette in Jenny's car that day. Yeah, and I, and I've tried to find Jenny years later to just say thank you. Yeah, but uh, you know, yeah, I think she had like a I don't even know her last name, but whatever. <laughs> thank you, Jenny, if you hear this ever. <laughs> but yeah, so <laughs> she's, she's so a you had that, listening. and then you had the difference is like if you listen to pop music from when we grew up, you know, uh, and I don't mean to slight anything that's out today, but these were. I was just telling somebody about this the other day, Madonna's album, Like a Virgin. Yeah. Go listen to that record. I still love that record. There's a real drummer and a real guitar player on that record. Right. Right. And if you listen to that, it's Chester Thompson from Chic playing drums with a 26-inch kick drum, people, on a Madonna record. Yeah, yeah. And those fills are so identifiable as that player, same guy who did the Power Station record a couple years later, you know. And, And, you know, nigel on the guitar you know and you go wow man and so you listen to a pop record today and it's all machines yeah you know or programs and it's just it's just not the same i think we were very blessed yeah where you could listen to a madonna record and a cult record and it was okay to have those two in your collection right you know well you needed them
1: right you needed and i and i you know just to your point i i think pop music was built different and whatever it's it's different now and that's fine and we can celebrate everything but there was that was a band you know playing making noise you know and yeah i totally agree what brought
0: you then to tempe in the mid-90s yeah well mom and dad moved with one of my brothers Uh, and what what brought them out here you know it's funny it's we lived we my parents bought this house in 71 in huntington beach california $32,000, $32,000, less wow. than a mile from the ocean, and Jeez. it ha- wasn't even done being built. And um, then they just got – they felt like they wanted to change after all these years. And, and and you know, we were uh, like the motorcycle family. We all had old roller- motorcycles and stuff. And, you know, California came up with a helmet law, and my parents and brothers <laughs> were like, we're out of here. And I'm like, all right, you know, like – I get it. I guess whatever they wanted a bunch of land, so yeah. they moved. I stayed behind um, until I ran out of money, couch crashing, and um, caught up to them. And they moved to this town called, you know, Maricopa, which is not now. It's you know way different than it was in the nineties. In the nineties, mm-hmm. it was literally like we pulled off the freeway, and I'm like. Where is it? Is this it? Is this it? Is this it? And we just kept driving and mm-hmm. driving and driving. And then I'm seeing, like, fences constructed of old pallets and stuff. And I'm like, this isn't it, is it? And they're <laughs> like, we're here. And, you know, um, so immediately that became not a cool place for a 19-year-old to be living. Mm-hmm. You know, especially since there was no jobs out there. Mm-hmm. And I got my job at a carpet shop called Tulliver's Carpet on uh Apache and rural or Apache and McClintock in uh, Tempe, mm. which was an hour drive. And I had to be there at six thirty in the morning. Mm. So now I'm like, you know, befriending people and staying at their houses or their apartments. Or if you go on a first date with a girl and, and you're 19 years old and you, you don't have those kind of intentions, but mm. it's two 30 in the morning and you don't want to drive all the way home. And you're like, listen, I'm really not trying to score. I, can I just sleep on your couch? Right. You know what I mean? It's right. like, so a lot of couch crashing and, and, uh, I pretty much lived in Tempe all week long. Right. And then, you know, then comes a the weekend and it's like, you're in the clubs and you're couch crashing again. So. Yeah.
1: And was music like, wh- wh- what role did music play in your life at that time?
0: Well, you know, I, I, had my, my band, I don't remember if we talked about it in part two yet, but, uh, I mean, I had my <laughs> band when I was 12 in, in school and that was really my only experience with with a band uh, at that point but when i came to tempe i mean always a big music fan yeah and uh i befriended daniel Henserling and, and russell sepulveda from at that time they were in the grievous angels dan had you know done his stint with the gin blossoms when they were the del montes and he left that band got huge and you know um we started hanging out and i'd always i'd never stopped playing right. you know you're a musician if yeah. somebody told you you know, it's not like you take a 12-step program and stop playing music. Like, you you wouldn't be whole, right? right? So I'd always played, you know, at home or or with my dad. And then um, we get to Tempe. I get to Tempe, and I meet these guys, and it's like, well, hey, you know, we're doing this gig here at Nita's. We're doing this gig at Long or Gibson's or wherever, you know, and come along. And, you know, there'd be three or four bands, Tempe bands on the bill. And you could always count on somebody from one of the bands not showing up right or or being you know a little too uh inebriated maybe to play and i remember one time it was at long longs and it was it was first time you know and it was uh well johnny can play well let's see if he's any good and (laughs) i sat in and i played drums i don't remember who the band was you know it could have been any conglomeration of anybody because it was just kind of a free-for-all and um, uh that became a thing so it'd be well the can you play bass tonight? Sure, sure. And then I would get a plate of hot wings and fries and sometimes a pitcher of beer. Right. And I was happy as a pig and shit, you right, know, right. And we'd all have fun. We'd, have, you know, just, you play one guy's set, you play the other guy's set. And, uh, right. Yeah. yeah. It was a lot of fun. So Tempe
1: in the, in the mid nineties. Um, I mean, I, so growing up in Massachusetts, I remember hearing, Hey, Jealousy, hearing about mm-hmm. this band, in Arizona, which felt like it, you know, could have been Mars, you know, and I didn't realize how robust the music scene was and how supportive uh, it was. Um, did you? I mean, you and you know people who are in these uh, iconic uh, bands, but did you feel it at that time? Like, was there? I kind of, in my mind, imagine just swarms of A and R people like Roaming Mill Avenue for the next thing. Did you feel that at all at that
0: time? Well, so bear in mind, I moved out there in 96, beginning of 96. So like my friend Dan, who was with them in the beginning, by 96, so even when I lived in Huntington Beach, yes, I knew who that band was. I knew who the Gin Blossoms were. Everybody Mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. You hear them in Sprouts today, right? Right. (laughs) But um, so by 96, like they were off doing their thing. And there was still all these other bands kind of holding on, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but you had, like, to your point, you had like, for example, in the 80s, it was, okay, Motley Crew took off. So then the A&R people, let, that guy uses hairspray, <laughs> sign them. Right, exactly. And they flooded the market with hair bands. And so right. what happens is, you know, you get too many fish in the sea, and not everybody gets the attention and the promotion they need, and so most of them don't. They right. don't move any units. They they right. have one record and they go away, right? Right. Or they have one hit, you know. And it happened in Seattle. It was right. oh my god, these guys are shit hot. Let's 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 sign all let's, of them. Yeah,
1: let's sign fifty of the same band. And yeah.
0: then they did it in Tempe, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And and so there was there was definitely that. And then you'd hear the buzz right. about oh so and so got a record deal, and you know there was the three there was so of course there was Gin Blossoms, which are still doing their thing today. Yeah. And then there was you know Pistoleros and Dead Hot Workshop and. Uh, Roger Klein, he had the refreshments at the time. Right. And they all had major deals. And, uh, you know, one of them had the staying power, and I think it's because they got on, you know, the Gin Blossoms, because they got on at the front end. They were kind of right. front-loaded to that. Right. And because of their success is when the market got a little... Saturated. It got a little saturated, and, and unfortunately, some of the bands that were as good, if not better, huh. you know, kind, right. of, kind of got the shaft. But we also had... Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Seagram's merger, uh-uh. which we had. So the Seagram's Liquor Company in the late '90s bought seven, I think, labels. No shit. Yeah, and they they consolidated and uh. they let all of these new bands go. Uh. So if you were a new artist and you just got signed to A and M Records, you were cut. Huh. They kept your you know your Legacy Acts, your Framptons, your your Gin Blossoms, those guys. But there was a threshold where they started trimming the fat and uh, a lot of bands got, you know, were out looking for day jobs at that huh. point. So, um, huh. here in the Valley, anyway, I'm sure, I know it was nationwide, but I saw a lot of that happening here and huh. it was just, yeah, it was, it was eye opening. but.
1: So, you know, being, being so close to the fire, like, did you start kind of doing your own thing at that point?
0: Well, for me, I had started, um, I got a job at Federal Express when I was 19 also and, uh, working at night and, um. I think I was 20, 21 when I had a kid, and what I saw going on is, like I go in and play these clubs, and I get a plate of wings and fries and a pitcher of beer, but man, I can't buy a house with that, right. and I can't, I can't support a kid with that, and so I started weaning off of that and working more at Federal Express, uh-huh. to where I saw my friends in all these bands, the Pistoleros and Dead Hot and all these guys, they were out there just beating those clubs and having yeah. a great time, but. But, you know, they were all cohabitating, too. Mm. And, you know, I bought a house when I was 21 years old, Mm. you know, because I started, like, working for the man and, and, you know, Mm. pulling down a good living and then, you know, having to raise a kid. Um, So I would still sub in and do the hired gun thing, but I I couldn't keep my foot on the gas like those guys were. Right, right. You know, because I had these other obligations. And I was also raised, you know, my parents were born in... Early forties, nineteen forty-two, and it was like, okay, you get a job right after high school, right. you start having a family, right. and, and and you work, and you retire after thirty, you know, and, right. and that's kind that of whole thing, where yeah. I was headed, you know. Yeah. So it wasn't until much later when I started doing my own thing after the kid was kind of self-sufficient, and right, and then by that point it was like, all the old clubs were gone, and right. and and the guys from the old days were, like, you know, had. Day jobs and, and, and Don't play music anymore Or whatnot. Right. You know? And it was right. it, it was an interesting time To you know In general But I, I had a very different Trajectory Because right. again The guys in the Tempe scene Were 8-10 years older than me Right So And I was talking with My friend Dan recently And he's like Well you kind of did it backwards Ab. Uh-huh. Like, he, Right Because now he's got his day job And his family Where I did that When I was 19, 20, 21 right. And now you can kind of Dig in a little bit Lean into it Exactly Yeah
1: Exactly Yeah. yeah. So Shout out to the Womack Cocktail Lounge. Oh my, they let us shoot this uh, podcast episode there. Uh, you know, that's where I go. That's my neighborhood bar. Uh, they're huge supporters of live music. In fact, what? On November 10th, I've been talking about this. So the story goes presents the show Thursday, November 10th. It's going to be at the Womac. Doors at 6 Show at 7 And guess what we got Four full bands Me Brian Chartrand In my full band Oh my Steph in the Articles Full band What? Lee Pereira His full band Vinyl Station Full band Where else are you going to see These four bands For 15 bones? Stop it you can't it's impossible uh also santan spirits are going to be there they're putting together uh, a little uh spirits tasting it and there's going to be a welcome cocktail featuring santan spirits don't miss it go to tinyurl.com forward slash so the story goes for tickets see you november 10th let's talk about the new record sure and uh And I'm, I'm, I'm impressed because, well, maybe you can talk to this, making a CD Mm -hmm. versus going all digital. What's, and I love the fact that you did this, um, but do you find that, I mean, I'm finding that people are buying fewer and fewer CDs. Yes. And so what, what was the impetus? And, 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 and I got to say. It's really beautiful, the CD. You well, know. thank you. So you, you definitely, I mean, the art, the, the photos, you know. Talk maybe a moment about the decision to go CD.
0: Well, okay, so if we back up uh, a little bit. Um, after I quit playing live music shortly before I turned 30. 29 years old we'll say. Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't making any money doing it. I mean let's be honest you play original music like we were just chatting about like you you know you're not making any music you're just doing it because you love it you're suffering Mm -hmm. for your art right Mm -hmm. but I had a mortgage debt and I had a kid and I you know so I I started writing and recording music for film and television and I started eventually making a lot of money doing it and quit Hmm. my day job Hmm. Um, and uh, I made some good choices along the way with with what I was making and uh, set myself up from that career which was about 10 years before that kind of petered out but um then I decided, well, you know, I need to get out and play music again, and because like, I missed that energy, right? Mm-hmm. But um, the landscape has changed, as we discussed. Uh, but my back catalog that I'd done for film and television, I'd put out a single here and there on iTunes or whatever, and eventually, when there was a bunch of them, I'd put together a uh, sort of a, a c- compilation album, Mm-hmm. album in quotations as uh you know on iTunes or whatever right or- Sp- even Spotify for a minute. I was on Spotify for a minute um, but let 's be honest, you know we 're artists, and uh, my art is just as valuable as as you know a woodworker or you know a guy who who does beautiful paintings and sells them for fifteen hundred dollars right I mean like he, we put just as much passion and work into it, right why shouldn 't we be compensated as such right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I've actually attended things with ASCAP about the uh, the Songwriter Equity Act where the mm. Songwriter Equity Act was put into place in the early 1900s, but it hasn't been updated since. Mm. Hmm. So it hasn't been updated to account for Spotify and streaming and, mm-hmm. and downloads and all that. Mm-hmm. So um, people aren't getting... We're not getting paid right, mm-hmm. okay? So, you know... Um, when I put my record together, I said, "You know, if I put it on iTunes, I'll get sixty-nine cents on the dollar. Uh, okay, that's that's fair." Which was which was great. That I that mean, was great, right? If you put it on Spotify, you know, I'll give you an exa- I'll give you a literal example. The band Pink Floyd, the song "Wish You Were Here," one million streams. One million streams, nets that band, $5,000. Right. And then it has to be cut up and divided right. amongst the four members, the songwriters, the publishers, the producers, everybody who's got right. a piece of that record. Right. I'm not going to get a million streams of anything, okay? <laughs> right. So it's not worth it to me. Why should Spotify or Apple or any of these other people make money off of my work, right? Right. So, or you know, like Apple Music, you pay ten bucks a month, and you could listen to whatever you want. So they're getting their ten bucks a month, and that artist is getting point zero 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 one right whatever cent. Right. Man, you're going to be sorry you asked me this question. <laughs> so, to your point, a lot of people aren't buying CDs as much anymore. Right. I still do, um, but with the CD is a digital download. Okay. So what I did was I put this card in there with an exclusive code that. Everyone is different, and I invested in the project, and I made it a really cool package, and I put the download in there to where you could look at it one of two ways. Hey, I'm buying this really cool CD and getting a free digital download, or you could look at it like, I'm buying this digital download, and I'm getting a CD free. Right. You look at, look at it either way, yeah. but the point is, everything is filtered through me. So you mm-hmm. buy this for $12, and I ship it to you free, or you buy it at the concert, whatever, mm-hmm. and I've been paid. Mm-hmm. what I'm due. Mm-hmm. Nobody else is making money. 100% independent. Right. That download is exclusive to me. Right. That hard copy is exclusive to me. And it's not about getting rich or you know taking your money, but if you were going to give $10 to Apple to download my music and I get 70 cents or whatever it is, right. is that cool? Wouldn't right. you rather see it go to my uh, dinner table? Right. Right. So, And I've actually found that since the album came out in late May, I have sold more hard copies of this album than I've ever had of downloads. Mm. Because mm. people aren't even downloading anymore. They're just streaming. Right. They're right. streaming on Spotify. Right. And it's ridiculous. You can't even, you can't even buy a soda with a month's worth of streams. <laughs> so, you know, so that's why when I did the CD, too, it's like, well, let's at least make it really cool and have a cool booklet and, mm-hmm. and, and all that kind of stuff, too, to where it's, it's all there. And mm-hmm. the project paid for itself in a few weeks.
1: Mm. That's just, that's success. Yes, you know? thank you.
0: Um, I, I mean, a, I'd rather sell. I'd rather sell five hundred copies of this, right, and net more than if I had ten thousand streams. Yeah, five hundred thousand. Right. You I know mean, what I mean. Right. So, and am I going to get rich off them? No, but it's it's paid for. It's a it's a passion project. People are digging it. You know. Yeah.
1: You know. Well, I was listening to it this morning and. And I felt like I, I, I could hear your influences. I heard Stones. I heard Tom Petty. Like, an aesthetic, right? Mm-hmm. And did those, I mean, do those two bands really inform your songwriting?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So earlier we talked about, like, Zeppelin is like, oh, my God, I want to have, like, drums like that guy or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Well... When it comes to songs, it's definitely it's the Stones, it's Cheap Trick, it's Tom Petty. It's if you listen to some of these guys like like Tom Petty in particular, or 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 Social Distortion. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the kings of the three chords, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you listen to the song "Mary Jane's Last Dance." There's yep. three chords. I think yep. there might be a or is it two chords, and the third chord comes in the chorus, something like that. Like it's right. so simple, but yeah. but the the music consumer. Doesn't recognize how simple it is. We just know we love it. Well, and it's and it's deceiving in 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 its simplicity, right?
1: It's like it it is so simple when you when if you boil it down to a chord progression, but it's also intricate in another way. Like it's it's just deceivingly simple. You know that that I'm I'm a big Tom Petty fan, and um, once you start to really dig into the to the nuts and bolts of of his tunes. You realize that yeah, sure, the three or four chords, but there's there's nuance that you, that you miss when you just boil it down to that.
0: Well, and that's I know exactly. It's funny. I know exactly what song you're talking about on this record because the way I write songs is I'll go. I want to write a song like that, mm, mm-hmm. and I'll target a song, mm. and I will rewrite a new song. I'll make I'll write a song on my own, mm-hmm. and it's sort of a sublim- subliminal thing like. Here's my song, and then if somebody goes, That sounds like so and so. And you go, Yeah, you got it. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, like the Stones or Tom Petty, it's like these are great songwriters. Yeah. And it's like the Stones was a train wreck, but that's what we loved about them. Right. Right. So let's write a song like something they would do. Right. Or let's write a song like something Tom Petty would is do. Is it,
1: is it, but is it an approach? Like sonically, I feel like. You know, it could be a number of things. Like, what are you trying to emulate? Is it is it the simplicity? Is it the instrumentation? Like, it just there were some songs where I was like, "Fuck, this could be a Stones tune. This Mm -hmm. could be a Tom Petty song." You know, like, and they're great. They're great. They're great songs. And and I wonder if you know, is it I'm trying to do this or uh, finding. The, the aesthetic of a thing, and this isn't you know, really a question; it's more of a of a
0: of a observation. Observation, yeah. No, it, a lot of it, it you can look at it like DNA. So there's some things that no matter how hard I try, for example, they're going to come out like Johnny's app, hmm. right? Because you take in all these stuff, all these things, all your life, whether hmm. it's the Stones, the Stooges, Rod Stewart, whatever it is, you just you can't get away from that, right? Hmm. So, you know, like there was times when I thought I'm going to try to write a song like like the nashville songwriters and it comes out sounding like social distortion because Mm -hmm. it's just who i am right Mm -hmm. so i will attack a song like i want to write a song like this period of the stones or i want to Mm -hmm. write this song like that one from cheap trick and then it just sort of develops Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. into what it comes out you know like because i play the guitar bass and drums and all of them oh really yeah i'm 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 the only drummer on that album. Actually, I shouldn't say I'm the only drummer on that album. I'm the only one who plays drums on that album. I have a couple other <laughs> drummers who sing background vocals on it. That's but, funny, ironically. But yeah, guitar, bass, and drums and everything. So, huh. what I'm hearing on my head might come out differently, right, in the right. song, right? You know, and I'm a guy. I'm a firm believer in moving air and performances. To where, yes, I'm using Pro Tools because I'm I'm a I'm a one man operation. I cannot I can't, right. That's another show, but. <laughs> If I'm, I'm a performance guy to where if I'm doing a song that's three minutes long and I'm tracking drums and I get two and a half minutes deep and I screw the drums up, I start all the way over uh-huh. until I get it right. Oh, interesting. It's partially because I'm not a computer guy and I don't know how to edit and copy and paste. Right. But I don't want to learn that uh-huh. because part of what makes my music work, in my opinion, and some of the feedback I've got, is that swing uh-huh. and that little bit of the wheels might come off kind of vibe. Yep. That's it's it's how it used to be.
1: Well, I was just that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, that's the music that that touched us uh, when we were kind of coming online. It was real. It was intentional, uh, and it was typically, you know, one take, the, the take, you know. And so I didn't realize. So, walk me through the that process. Do you sure. cut drums first? Yes. Do you, okay, and then you build the rhythm section.
0: So I I will. Take it from my head and do a scratch guitar track to a click. So okay. if, if we're going 120 beats per minute, and I'll sit there and I'll just simplify the guitar lick right. just so that I could keep it in that perfect time right, or close to it. And then I sit behind the kit with that click and that guitar track, which is really just my, my template, my map.
1: Yeah, right? sure.
0: And I lay it out. Huh. And then, uh, and, you know, my wife has been home at times and she's she hear, hears me say the F word quite a bit <laughs> when, you know, I get four bars in and screw it up. You know, and then I'm yelling and starting over. Yeah. Uh, but to me, that's what it takes. And if, if I don't hit the snare as, the same as I did the second, you know, in the second verse, maybe I hit it a little harder or a little lighter or whatever. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I leave it. I mean, there's stuff that you can even hear where I drop the sticks at the end of a song. Uh-huh. Let's leave it in because that's what Humble Pie did, man. That's right. what right. they all did because they didn't have a lot of, you know, the, back then you had to cut tape with a razor. Right. right? And they were paying ridiculous amounts of money for studio time, and so if there was a clam here or there, they left it. Right. So, I'll just and try even to the get... And even the cost of tape,
1: right? I mean... Exactly. Right. So, it was like, no, we're going to keep it because we, we're not going to pay for more tape.
0: Right. I mean... So, that, I'll, I'll try to get it in the zip code, yeah. is how I look at it. And try right. to get it right in that zip code, and, and, and if it's cool, and it's it swings, and it... You know, because it's supposed to make you move, right? right? And then you have, like, nothing against what's, you know, the last 20 years of music, but it becomes something sort of sterile to where, Uh okay, just give me the first verse and chorus and then we'll just copy Copy and paste it over. And uh, I don't know, man. It loses that human element, right? And, And there's been, I've had some guests on the album play things here and there and I've told them you can't copy and paste that tambourine, right? Because that's a live drum track, right? Play it and, through, and I might not play it the same every time. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to, you know, or, or whether it be a background vocal or whatever, say mm-hmm. everything was sang in a performance. So mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. there's no copy and paste. And I think the people, the feedback I'm getting from people, and I've got people want to work with me now because they're like, oh my god, how did you get that sound? And I say, well, that's a four piece drum set with. Microphones on it, and a dude playing his <laughs> ass off. Me, right, right. And then there's no copy and paste, and and it's just people haven't. I'm not reinventing the wheel, but people haven't heard that right in right. so long, right. That it's sort of refreshing. It's like, oh my god, what is this? It's it's it lives, it breathes. It's like looking at a vintage car. You're like, you know, that right. thing's wow. That's sweet, man. I forgot about how cool that was. Are you a gear guy? I am. I'm a gear nerd.
1: All right, so yeah. talk to me. What like what's your I want to know, because I started out as a drummer as well. Like, what's your kit? And, like,
0: what yeah. other Geary bits which, do you... Which drum kit? Oh, uh, my... Ooh, oh. Is my wife listening? <laughs> there are four drum kits in the house. No um, shit. <laughs> How are... big is your house? <laughs> 3,000 square feet. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes. All right, quit bragging. Yes. I'm just kidding. There's <laughs> theres is, there is four drum kits. Um, but on this album, what I did was I have my main recording kit is a Thomas Star Classic. 22-inch kick drum, 14, inch, I'm sorry, 13-inch rag tom, and a 14- and 16-inch floor tom. Okay. But what I did was I have about 20 snare drums. So I use a different snare on every track just okay. because. Yeah. So, like, we have this, my wife and I talk about, like, you know, spring cleaning every two years. We say, like, if you haven't used something in two years, right. it could be a book, it could be a shirt you haven't right. worn, whatever, get rid of it. Yeah. So I'm like, I got all these snare drums, and it's pandemic. I'm going to use all of them. Right. That way I'm, like, hitting the reset button. I don't have to get rid of any right, of these right, things, right? right. right. <laughs> so I recorded every piece of gear I have, and you know, huh. eleven of them went on the went on the album. Yeah. So which was fantastic. I used two drum sets and, and eleven snares, three three drum sets and eleven snares on this album. Jesus, but um, it, it it was fantastic, but it created a little issue when it was mixing time. It was like, oh, sure. you know right. that you know, right. Different snares, and, and
1: you, you mix the record. I did. Man.
0: Mixed it And then I had a guy In London I work with Do the mastering wow. He's got a studio out there Called The Crunch He did all the mastering yeah. But but yeah Mixed it myself Yeah Wow So That's... we do the drums Like you're saying We scratch We do the drums And then it's i leave that scratch I'll do a new scratch track Because I have a hard time Playing guitar to a scratch track It's uh-huh. just not It's not musical right. Right? right But I do that To get the drums down Then after I get the drums Good I record a new scratch guitar To the drums Okay Okay now I go bass, then I get rid of that scratch track and we start doing real guitars.
1: So you get away from the click in that, in that yes, sense. Absolutely. Right? Like you, you record to the click, that's what you do the drums to, but then mm-hmm. you recreate your click, quote unquote.
0: With my drums, yes. Right. And exactly. And what I'll do when I'm listening back, when, when the drum track feels, feels good to me when I'm performing it and I'm done. I mute the click for playback mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I don't want to be Beholden, attached to it. Right. Let me just hear how it sounds. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, for example, years ago I did a cover of, uh, of a, a song from 76 from Aerosmith's album Rocks. The song mm-hmm. was called Get the Let Out. And I was using a different drummer and every time we would, when I do a cover song I put it on in the cans, the original version and we just play along to it. Mm. Pull the faders down and the drummer kept rushing and dragging on the same spot Hmm. Every time, he's like, I oh, don't know, let's do it again, let's do it again. Every time. And then we listened to the original version, and Joey Kramer was doing that mm-hmm. all over the place. He goes, those guys just played, man. Right. They just played. Yeah. So I will play to a click, but during playback, I shut the click off, and I just listen. And yeah. if it sounds good, we're in.
1: So, I mean, I feel like, you know, we, we talk about pandemic projects and, and the fact that we couldn't assemble in a studio— if you're a kind of a one man band, um, you've been doing, you've already, you like, you were prepared to do this because of your process. Does that yes. does that make sense? So, like, being able to cut drums and bass and guitar, like that's your skill set, right? Yes. I, and and you're not farming anything out. It's it's all in house. It's all based on your vision. Like you can execute your vision. Um, I'm wondering you said that this record was a pandemic project. Yes, but it sounds like your process has been set for years.
0: It has yeah. I mean, I used to have a, you know my studio when I lived in the Tempe area, where I would do all the stuff for film and TV. And, uh, and was that, like, bed music or was it no, with no, vocals? No, no, it's the or? same stuff you're hearing here. No it's kidding. It's rock stuff. But I always mix and master an instrumental version, too. And I okay, made my right. money off instrumental versions right. of my rock tunes. No kidding. So, yeah, I mean, because I, I, I lined up with a company. Um, they were called Pump Audio. And then Getty Images bought them, and I stayed on board. And it was just write what you want, man. We like what you're doing. When I found out the formula. Wow. And it was, you know, I had rock songs in Pimp My Ride and and uh, wow even the PGA tour you no know kidding. Like, yeah and it was just my rock stuff but they just used the instrumental versions yeah so it was ridiculously cool and yeah. i made a good a good living doing it yeah. um, just kept serving them up and i i if they liked one thing i go okay we'll write another one just like that oh no kidding you know use the same formula right so um yeah the process has always been the same for me and i you know i, I it's kind of how when i was young and you know it's like I can play all these instruments. I never got a hundred percent proficient at guitar because my, I was always drawn to like, oh let's try this instrument or that instrument. So I always joke and I say, I'm like 33 and a third good at all of these things, you yeah. know, like guitar, bass and drums, uh-huh. you know, but I can do it and I love doing it. So I will farm yeah. things out when I get stuck, not because I can't do something, but I'll go like, like I did a song called dirty good time. I did that. I don't know, 2011, maybe before that uh, for, there was a, TV show called Vinyl from I was on HBO. And their thing it was early seventies in New York. So I, I wrote a song that was to ca- and, you know kind of mm-hmm. capture that vibe. And in order to get a New York Dolls kind of vibe, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. hired a rhythm section from New York mm-hmm. to play it. Not because I couldn't, but let's go to New York. Let's get these right. guys from New York to right. do this. You know. Yeah. So there's stuff on this record, for example, where I'm like, you know, I really want. Uh, I'm stuck on these lyrics. Let's see what this guy can do to it. Mm. You know, and and when I have somebody else write lyrics, I'll have that person sing it. Mm. Maybe I don't sing good in that key, but I know who can. Mm. You know, so sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll bring people in just to see what their flavor is. I could play this solo, but let's see what this guy would do it like. Mm. Mm. You know, because he can. You know. Right.
1: She had a switchblade tone. A suicide smile with the cold black eyes, she could see me. talk about that second one
0: yeah Uh, wheels
1: wheels, yeah um i remember listening um and it it was something about maybe the chord progression or something even even like the tambourine uh, is evocative of something
0: well there's no tambo in that song but there is shakers yeah there's shakers in that tune and um i just wanted this kind of laid back kind of groovy tune Mm -hmm. you know and i got i just that's it is what it is it's that's the only track i think that has an acoustic guitar on it too yeah just kind of texturally right so. right
1: and and that wheels was kind of inspired by the tom petty approach
0: yes very yeah. much so that and uh there was another uh my buddy had a band called colonel parker in the early 2000s and they had that a does song. sound familiar well that was it was my buddy gilby clark and uh muddy stardust and slim jim phantom from stray cats and teddy Are these real names these are re- <laughs> are you fucking with me yeah well they're real stage names <laughs> and they did this record they used to have this band called uh called the star and uh, they'd play the baked potato in los angeles and uh somebody came down and saw them they would just do covers of the beatles and the stones and and bowie and all this stuff yeah and this guy from a record label saw them and said man this is great you know uh well, you do a record for us and then they said well let's write songs that sound like they could be in your record collection with Gasoline Alley from Rod Stewart or The Faces or whatever, you know what I mean? So they started writing these really cool songs that sounded like that. And there's a song on their album called uh, Down Home Cooking. So it was like Down Home Cooking, and then it was like um, anything from Wildflowers from Tom Petty. One of my favorite records of all time. Mary Jane's Last Dance. Uh, Those songs is what was stuck in my head at that time when Mm -hmm. I wrote that song. Mm -hmm. I'm like, here's my version of that. Mm -hmm. and that's what we did yeah yeah but Uh, then oh i should say though now that i'm i didn't i wrote most of the lyrics and then i gave them to my buddy alex in nashville who has a band called them vibes and i said man i don't love my lyrics because that's where i struggle i said here's the tunes here's what i got and he came back with the lyrics that are that we put on the record and i said okay well now you got to sing it so he, mm. so that's not my vocal. That's my buddy Alex singing it, and he wrote the lyrics. So yeah. How how are you with with collaborating on on tunes, co-writing songs? I used to not like it because I used to think I should be able to do this on my own. Mm-hmm. But there's been every, just about every well, every time I've done it, it's been a success, and I've mm-hmm. liked it way better than anything direction I was headed. Mm-hmm. So I look at it like there's certainly nothing wrong with saying, Hey Brian, I've got this music, but I don't have any lyrics for it. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, What do you What's hearing? wrong with that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, so nothing's wrong with that. Yeah. I, I mean, I had all these songs done with no lyrics, and then I started chipping away. And as if I got stuck on something, like there's a song on there called Tight Rope Parade I did all the verses for, but I had no chorus. Uh-huh. And I called my longtime collaborator, and I'm like, can you give me a chorus for this? Huh. And he did. Yeah. In like a minute. Yeah. So, you know, it gets you over that hump. Right. And you come up with something like, like wheels that, I mean the experience i had with that was like he just simplified and just gave it a good hook right and i'm like right. why didn't i think of that i didn't right he did cool right you know well
1: in 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 i've talked about this before with other songwriters but you really have to trust that person you, you, like i don't give my my scraps uh and i don't mean that in a, in a weird way i'm just like an an idea I, I can't give it to you unless I trust you, you, you know what I'm to, saying. You
0: have to trust them, but you have to be their fan too, right. You have to be a fan of their work, yes, you know you can't you're not gonna if you don't like the lyrics to their songs, you're not gonna ask them to Right. you know so time I've ever collaborated, it's never been on any of the music. it's always been on the lyrics mm-hmm. and hmm. uh, it's always so that's out. the
1: sticking point is is the
0: lyric for I you. wouldn't say it's a sticking point. I would just say it's the music comes easy for me, okay. You know, I do what I do, and then um, and then I go. Oh my God, I've got twenty songs here with no lyrics. Right. And then I, you know, I write and write and write, and then you know, I don't always like it, and sometimes I do. So. Was
1: that is that a function of writing for TV and film for so long that that you kind of got into that mode of creating instrumental music?
0: No, I never did that. Actually, I always because my whole appeal was kind of covering both bases. So mm-hmm. I'd write a full rock song. Full vocal everything, and then just mute all the vocal tracks and mix it down instrumental. Because you know a lot of that stuff went on the radio, Mm -hmm. so I can get Mm -hmm. the stuff. I and I did have one song I did for the uh, U.S. Open of Surf in in Huntington Beach in 2011 called Orange County, and that was a full vocal mix. Right, so I'm just writing these rock songs, and it was I was making the money instrumentally. I never knew what until the checks were coming. What they were for, hmm. you know, hmm. was never right. that we only want an instrumental. This is like I just here's an instrumental and a full mix of everything. Yeah, and then I'd find out later. So that didn't affect it your didn't. songwriting. No. Yeah. No. The, the the only way that I that affected my songwriting is if I knew sometimes there was a particular project they were looking for and they wanted a quote-unquote sound-alike because, you know, they're not going to buy the rights to this Zeppelin tune or they're not going to buy the rights to this social distortion song, whatever it is, Right? we know who can do that, who can write us something original that will sound like that. Right. And they call you up and they'd say, hey, can you give us something like XYZ? Right. You know, I'm your guy. Right. You know, and you do, but I would still have lyrics to it because maybe I want to use it for something else too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What's uh, your
1: first major... Concert experience As, as a fan not, not.
0: Oh man I'll tell Let's you go. I'll tell you the date Let's go Don't laugh dude I'm not gonna laugh April 16th 1995 wow. Tesla okay. Oh shit Five minute acoustical jam? No oh. <laughs> Tesla And they were opening for Skynyrd Slend- 1995 Leinard Skynyrd Yeah um, So it was the Bust a Nut tour <laughs> Yes <laughs> Yep I was 18. Jesus. You love it, don't you? <laughs> I wasn't allowed to go to a concert until <laughs> I was 18. It was crazy.
1: And, and thank God because the Bust and Nut Tour, that is the worst.
0: Who, who greenlit this fucking tour name? Well, I, well, it was the album name. And in my opinion, it was a great record. But, you know. I'm uh, sorry, the
1: Bust and Nut Tour, though, for well, real? We, I mean,
0: I still have the shirt. No shit? No, I don't have it anymore. No, completely. I had it for a long time. Of course. But, you know, it got worn it, out. And it then it disintegrates. Out. It disintegrates. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm much thinner now than I was <laughs> in 1995. So, <laughs> yeah, I think I washed a car with it a few times. But, yeah. So that was my first show. But Tesla? Tesla with Leonard Skinner. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, you know, like everybody's first it's show, shot. whether you're 12 or 19, it uh, blows your mind. Yeah. And this is ba- this is in California, Pacific Amphitheater,
1: L.A. Yep. Wow. So yeah. How you know, do you remember the date though? I've always been a date guy. No
0: shit. Yeah. What day is it today? Go quick. Twenty fifth. October twenty fifth. You're, you're you're right. Ask me tomorrow. I won't remember what yesterday was. <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing. So it's so like my first three concerts were all at that same venue, and they Let's were in go. L.A. What were they? So there was first that. three. Then the second one was Cheap Trick and Foreigner. Love it. And, yeah, but you know, once again, like the Tesla show, I went to see Cheap Trick. I went to see the opener, uh-huh. and I went to see Tesla, which was the opener. Yeah. And then the third time, Game Changer. Talk like, to me. Like everything was cool, you know. And and then I went and saw Motorhead Whoa. with Judas Priest. Oh my God! It took me about four days to get my hearing back. I bet. Yeah. Is it back now? In the most glorious what? <laughs> You're sharp. I'm You're sharp. You're quick. Wicked yes. quick, dude. So Motorhead at the Universal Amphitheater, and I remember driving there because at the other shows on the floor they had like folding chairs, yeah. and we're driving up, and I'm like, "This is Motorhead. What are they gonna do with those folding chairs? People are gonna be throwing." You worried about like, the logistics? I'm worried about like the Geraldo show when they, you know, yeah, they started like, throwing chairs. Geraldo around. Factor, yeah, yeah. Those yeah. chairs were gone, dude. When I we got there, were. I bet they were. Yeah, yeah. But people were getting crazy. And uh, it was, is it, it was, Lemmy or Lenny? Lemmy lemmy yep
1: r.i.p Yep. it was a goddamn machine that guy
0: yeah yeah but yeah those were the first three man that's that's nice i mean that's very diverse i could probably if you gave me half hour remember some set lists too but i was that guy jesus you know. yeah yeah Concert you were, you, you, uh you hate the grateful dead you love the grateful no dead. no no love hate love hate i'm the weird grateful dead fan that doesn't like their live stuff What the like? We don't need a we don't need a thirty minute version of that song, dude. Uh, The three minute version on the record is great. I see. I love interesting. uh, Yeah, yeah. Because like, I like. I think um, American Beauty and Working Man Dead are brilliant records. Yeah, brilliant records. Yep. And uh, I think their records are underrated. Because people go for the live experience. And and you know, to be frank, I've never I've never been a you know, into smoking dope and, and, and that's just not my thing. Just, but you grow your it own. But you grow it and you sell it. Yes, exactly. Yeah exactly. but you just but don't, I just don't sp- smoke it. Yeah, I get I mean, it. I, I get it. You know what I mean? But, and, and but, I, I sell acid, I don't do it. I don't you know, I'm more of a cocaine guy, right? <laughs> but uh joking for those <laughs> joking. Yeah. I'm not even a big drinker, like yeah. you know, no, so I got uh, you. And I think people that go to those that that's it's more of an experience yes, for them.
1: it's a culture, and you know. But to love the Grateful Dead's studio records is an interesting approach.
0: Yeah, I do love those records, man. Yeah, they're amazing. There's even some stuff on the later period. Um, that because I got to see Bob Weir a few times, and he pl- tapped into some of the stuff, uh. some of the deeper cuts from the late '70s. Yeah, and I'm like, wow. So you go back and listen to the great albums, songs. You know? Yeah, great songs, yeah. great songs. But everybody just likes to trip out and, 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 you know, I, I think they're they're doing like an eight disc box set next month they're putting out, and uh, but it's taken them a while to figure out which four songs to put on it. <laughs>
1: okay, right?
0: Okay, but uh, yeah, right? We could do this all day. Okay. So, uh, Johnny, I
1: appreciate your time. Uh, you know, I feel like. Podcast number two was better than one. Yeah, but one had some gems. But that's for the ether. But we don't cut and paste. That was the Angel Share podcast. Got it. That was for whoever it is that oversees us. Um, appreciate your time. Well, Thank you. We. I feel like we could. We still don't even know uh, about your experience in Tucson and, and Phoenix to Tucson. Can we just
0: rap about yeah, that? I mean, course, for a minute, of course. Um, no we, we How was the Tucson. Tucson
1: music scene versus here or, or you know
0: it's it's all okay, so when I decided to start playing live music again, I'd found, you know, before I moved to Tucson, so we're talking, you know, twenty seventeen, found all the cool clubs were gone and and and, and everything yeah. had changed so much that but there were still at that time a couple of the legacy acts out there like Dead Hot Workshop would still do something every now and then and Pistoleros were still doing something. In Tucson? No, in Tempe oh, still. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. We hadn't moved there yet. And um, so I'm working with my manager, uh, Paul Dorman, about putting together some stuff and we were going to do some dates myself with Dead Hot Workshop and Pistoleros and then, you know, pandemic hit and all that and then, mm. you know, fast forward, I, I moved to Tucson and I get out there and the scene is very, there's a huge scene. Mm-hmm. But it's it's very much Americana singer-songwriter thing, which I, I love. Um, but I'm also, I'm a rock and roll guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, my wife was even tripping out because she saw us do these shows last month. And she's like, oh, my God, who are you? What have you done with my husband? Mm-hmm. Because she's used to seeing me either play acoustic or, or play bass for these, you know, Americana bands. And, mm. you know, I was out there fronting a band with a Les Paul and a Marshall, and we were just... Killing it, you know. My yeah. backing band is a couple of the guys from the Pistoleros, and nice. my buddy Matt from Dead City Love. and We're out there rocking ass, you know, just kicking ass, right? So, um, there's not a lot of that. Uh. So uh. it's funny when I when I I'm in Tucson and I, you know, I stop taking these calls from from these other you know acoustic based bands. I'm like, no man, I got to do my own thing. I got I, I got to finish my record. I got I got to go play some rock and roll.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: As soon as word got out that before I even played anything, you know, as soon as word got out that uh Johnny's apps putting you know some rock shows together, like I started getting calls from the New Times, I started getting calls from the Tucson Weekly. Everybody wanted to talk to me, they're like, Oh my god, rock and roll, Right. right? Right, so we we you know went and played Club Congress in Tucson, we played Yucca, and we just the feedback was amazing everybody's like this is cool right so uh you know we're gonna go on tour next year nice left coast right coast love You know, as it. far as far as we can get probably up to Texas and you know for a little yeah. bit so. nice uh so
1: the record is great I listened Thank to it you. this morning more rock I just love the title too more rock and roll and less assholes let's talk about that Brian well let's do it let's I dig mean, in
0: so the whole And, point,
1: and, and my and my thing was, shouldn't it be more rock
0: and roll and fewer assholes? Maybe, because then it makes us look cooler. If there's still a few assholes, we need a, we need a, we need a couple of them. A, a few. We need fewer air quotes. Need. Yes. Okay. Right. Good call. But it's just that you know, in the last god since three four years, it's like everybody. Killing each other, and you know, you we can't be friends because you voted for this guy, and, mm-hmm. and 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 you know, this that and the other thing. And everybody's got these keyboard muscles online, and and I'm just like, you know muscles. what, man, am I, am I wrong? You know, everybody's just they wouldn't say the same thing to you in person that right. they'd say to you online, right? On your Facebook page, or tweet, you know, and yeah, where, where it matters on Facebook or Twitter, right? And I'm just like, bro, we're, we're you know, let's just listen to some music and get along, you know right. what I mean? Let's stop being such dicks, right. you know, or yeah. assholes in this case. Let's just, right. you do you, I do me, but let's all be friends, man. And let's just rock right. out and have a good time. <laughs> and what we need right now is because what I was saying about the musical landscape in Tucson, for example, we need more rock and roll. Yeah. And then we need more of this, like, or less of this fighting and being assholes to one another shit. Yeah. Agreed. And, and my wife's like, why don't you call your record that? And I'm like, no. Yeah? No. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> I want to meet your wife. She's like awesome.
1: She, she's got some good ideas. She
0: knows her shit. I'm like, that's yeah. either going to make her, it's either going to hinder right. me in areas, right. or right. you might get the person who buys it just because of the title. Right. Or you might get somebody that goes, you know what? That guy's right. Yeah. That guy's right. And that's what I want. It's just like, let's just be cool, man. Right. You know, so. I love it. Oh, well, thank
1: you. Well, let's just be cool.
0: Let's just be cool That's the next record
1: That's the next record Let's just be cool And I want to play something on that record
0: Done Okay I've got I mean on this record We've got my guys from Nashville And them vibes We've got Whitey Curse from Maggie Pop's band Yeah Daniel Hensling Ex-Gin Blossoms Gas Giants He's on here Uh, I got my buddy Bruce Halper From the Sidewinders in Tucson He's on there Uh, You know And not because I needed these guys But these guys are my friends Right And it's like Come on in Add your flavor Right. Let's add your ingredients to the soup, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it does sound great. I highly recommend checking it out. You have to buy the record.
1: You can't find it on
0: Spotify. No Spotify, man. Uh, JohnnyZapp.com. So it's J-O-H-N-N-Y-Z-A-P-P.com. You can get the record there, and you can look at it either way. You can buy your digital download there and get a free CD with a book, (laughs) or you buy your CD and get your free download. (laughs) however you want to look at it i love it you're going to get pictures and, and a booklet yeah. and you can listen to it on your phone or your cd player however you prefer yeah you just got to get it through the website i love all. it
1: well it was a pleasure to meet you likewise Ryan, and and thanks for your time and and your flexibility uh and shout out to the womac for letting us uh uh record this on location if you hear things in the background it's it's because this bar needs to open soon so it's cuz they're bringing us another round yeah
0: you gotta, we, I gotta come back here for dinner man look at this place yeah
1: no drinks music they they kind of got it all and it's and it's my neighborhood bar you know it's dangerously close to my house <laughs> dangerously awesome. close to my house Johnny Zapp I appreciate you thank you for your time thank you Brian and and we'll definitely be in touch I'm gonna be on your next
0: record fantastic yes, <laughs> you will <laughs> so the story goes
1: so the story goes